Welcome to Front and Center, the podcast created by Forefront, a sports and entertainment marketing agency specializing in all things analytics, digital innovation, and partnerships. Today's topic is one that seems to be very pressing year-round, not just any specific time of the year. It is year-round, and it is partnership renewals. Of course, renewing those key partnerships that help you and your organization survive and grow in what better person to have on the podcast than one who was formerly in that business and is now currently working on the partnerships team for Forefront, Shannon Hooper. Shannon, how are you? I'm doing good. Awesome. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Just so everyone knows before we dive into exactly what we're going to talk about with renewals, just give everyone a little bit of background about what you do now and where you were before with Hendrick Motorsports. Yeah, so I started my career, um, went to the University of North Carolina, a uh, big Tar Heel fan. Um, but actually, when I graduated, I went and was a media planner for Starcom Worldwide, um, which gave me my first insights into sports sponsorship. I handled uh, Miller Lite um, and worked with them on their radio and TV strategy. From there, I then moved over to Kellogg's and did customer marketing for their Cheez-It brand. Um, again, um, a lot of work in sports and really saw the power of sports at retail. So it was a great experience for me. Worked with the NFL with them as well as NASCAR. Um, that then helped me uh, jump into my next career, which was working with Hendrick Motorsports. Um, so the number one team in NASCAR uh, based in Charlotte. So moved down back south to North Carolina in 2004 and was with Hendrick Motorsports for almost 14 years. Um, you know, obviously NASCAR from a sports sponsorship uh, perspective, it, it, it's critical. Um, teams cannot race without sponsorship dollars. Um, there's no TV rights. Um, so everything that the team needed, you know, to, in order to run the four teams that we had and some of the biggest drivers in the sport, including Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson was all reliant on sponsorship revenue. Um, so, Started um, with Hendrick and working more along the, the lines of account development first um, and really managed Dale Jr.'s uh, progression as he came over and launched very big sponsorships with Pepsi and the National Guard. Um, you know, from there, realized that, you know, sponsorship sales was something I loved. Um, and so moved into running uh, business development for Hendrick Motorsports um, for the last six years of my career there. Um, had a lot of success, um, had a lot of failures. Um, that is what sponsorship sales is all about. Um, but really got a great, you know, education and how to work with brands, um, both from signing sponsorships and then obviously the second part is the renewal. Um, you know, Hendrick Motorsports, we put most of our resources and from the marketing department into renewals and into servicing our current clients. It's a lot easier to keep clients than it is to find new ones. Um, so that was definitely a model that I saw that worked really well there. Um, so my role was kind of dual, is definitely bringing in the new sponsorship dollars as well as working with current partners um, when we get came to the renewal uh, portion. Inside that renewal, obviously you said the successes and failures that comes with anything, especially in sports, it's basically a win or a loss. I guess we'll focus on the good stuff first. <laughs> what was the most successful pitch you ever gave at Hendrick? And in looking back on it, why was it the most successful? Like, what did you do or what did your team do to create that most successful pitch from Hendrick to whoever this client is? Yeah, it, it's definitely most people would say the last uh, big one was my last one I won uh, before leaving. And, and and to really get a little more context, you know, I'd said that Hendrick Motorsports put majority of their resources into account services. Um, 
business development, I had one other sales guy um, and we were over $80 million worth of sponsorship. Um, so I needed help and resources. And that's actually how I got connected with Forefront. Um, I've known Dan McGallan and Josh Kreitzler for quite a few years and about I'd say five years, five years ago, Hendrick Motorsports, you know, I met with them and, and really it was more about the analytics services at Forefront brought. Um, we had no idea who our fan base was. Um, it's very difficult to be having conversations with brands when I couldn't talk to them about who the audience they were buying is um, and same on the renewal. Um, so that's why I first got introduced to Forefront, became our analytics experts um, and really helped us build um, a fan network for Hendrick Motorsports. Um, and that piece was absolutely critical as sports and especially NASCAR shifted, you know, no longer were brands looking for just their name on a car. Um, it was all about the digital reach. It was all about finding the right fan base that they wanted to talk to and doing it, you know, in a, in a very effective way. Um, so our ability to work with Forefront and build that fan network just set us apart from any other team and really sports property in the market at that point, um, which really led me to the last one we I did before I had uh, made the change to move over to Forefront um, uh, for, uh, in, the new, in the new role was Ally Bank. Um, so Ally Financial, um, online digital bank. Um, you know, in terms of traditional sponsorship branding, they definitely needed you know, branding. So the car aspect and some of the stuff on site was very impactful and the content with the driver. But what really drove, um, you know, that first meeting with their um, CMO, Andrea Bremer, and really got her attention. It, it was the analytics that I was able to bring and really tell her exactly who that fan base was. And then from that point, being able to explain to her how she could utilize the fan network, you know, to digitally reach these Hendrick Motorsports fans that were nationwide and how granular we could get. Um, she was blown away that, you know, we could show her, you know, what percentage were Ally customers currently, how that she could then hit them with an offer uh, for additional services, whether it be mortgage um, or a credit card. And then obviously, you know, our fan bases who were not Ally Bank customers who were with Bank of America or Wells Fargo. And, and what's that creative message that her and her team could then go after them utilizing the Hendrick Motorsports IP marks and the driver, Jimmy Johnson, in order to get that engaged, that engagement. Um, so really, that was my last one. They, they came on as a very big primary partner for Jimmy Johnson. Um, and it was a three-year deal and it, it's extremely healthy and they're very happy. Um, and again, it goes back to the measurement, but I'd say the most important thing with that meeting, that reason it was so successful, one, we had the analytics to back us up. We had the fan network to be able to demonstrate how that they can activate digitally because they are a digital bank. But really it was, you know, the fact that she knew exactly what she wanted from the sponsorship. Um, she had her objectives laid out and that always makes those meetings go extremely well when the brand can tell you, you know, the reason we're in this room is I need X, Y, and Z um, to happen. And we were prepared for that. Um, she's unbelievable. She's a mentor to me. Um, she's been in the sports world for a long time um, as well as um, automotive. So that was definitely um, one of my favorite pitches um, by far, and obviously it was very successful. And then looking at who actually worked on the pitch, I can't imagine it was actually just you working on it. So how important is the team aspect of putting the pitch together and making sure that 
I mean, every aspect of the organization that's going to be involved in this is also involved within the pitch. How important is that to really making it that successful? It is really important. And again, I was I was fortunate to have the backing um, at Forefront as my partnership sales agency. Um, so they helped me with the, you know, the blocking and tackling of the original deck, pulling the right insights, um, having the activation ideas. Um, the innovation team with Brian Gaynor had some amazing ideas how they could break through the clutter in NASCAR. So we were prepared on the content side. Um, but, you know, then it was very important, you know, to have in the room, you know, our head of PR, Jesse, um, is really important to have our head of account services. Um, our VP of marketing, um, Rick Hendrick himself, um, nobody uh, can sell the organization better than he can and his vision. Um, so we definitely had the right group in the room, but it was the preparation and the materials that went in um, beforehand and really taking the time to ask the right questions. You know, we, we had had the fortunately we were able to meet with Andrea prior to um, to really understand her brand objectives um, and why she was interested in the sponsorship and and what she would be looking f- you know from it. So, you know, a lot of times you don't get that uh, initial call and prep work, but you know you still have the ability to research that company and know what they're doing and know maybe areas where they're a little light and maybe where they need you know the sports property or that ex- platform to help them meet those objectives. So we talked about the good. Now let's take a look at the bad because for every good pitch, there's always about five bad ones. So looking at the more, the lesser of the successes, I don't want to say worst pitches, but more of the least successful pitches that you ever gave. um, And looking back on it, why wasn't it as successful as maybe you thought going in that it would be? Yeah, I'm I'm not going to name the uh, organization or brand. Yeah, I wouldn't Uh, do that. But I definitely, uh, I'd say the one, we got pretty de- pretty deep with them, um, but we knew in the initial conversation that they were not a right fit for the values of, of Hendrick Motorsports, and more in particular, the values of Dale Earnhardt Jr., which is who we were, we were pitching. Um, you know, the dollars were there, so you always try to make it work. Um, and we worked very creatively to get around some of the areas where the alignments were definitely off. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it came down to a gut check by, um, Dale himself and I give him all the credit for it. You know, he knew it was not going to be a good fit for him. Um, and that, you know, obviously we were going to put his name and face, um, in association. And at the end of the day, he just didn't feel that he could do that as a person and, I respect him for it because the dollars were there and we were in a spot and, and during the downturn that, you know, sponsorship dollars are very hard to come by. So I would just, you know, the, the learning there was, you know, if, if that alignment is not there, especially from a value standpoint, um, it, it's not worth, you know, the exercise. Um, Cause at the end of the day, even if you get the dollars being able to renew that or feel good about it and have not have it affect some of the other partnerships that you have. Um, it, it's, it's a long day. And I didn't even think of that of, especially in NASCAR and motorsports, it's really the, the driver who is the one representing most of the face of the, of the sponsors. So how, how important is it, especially with where you worked with and Hendrick to get the drivers involved as well and make sure that they're actually comfortable with, either promoting or having this brand on their car 
um, on their, I, this is wrong, but their suit that they drive in. I don't know the specific name for it, or e- whether it be on their helmet, anything. How important is how important is it for them to actually be involved in this process and be comfortable with who they're going to be representing? It's extremely important, and and it, Hendrick isn't alone in that. I mean, obviously, it's it's a little more in depth because, to your point, they are wearing it on their fire suit on their jersey, but. You know, the days of sports now, you know, that's happening across all sports. The NBA, you know, they're putting brands on jerseys. Um, and you have to think about that from both perspectives. You know, one, you know, the company wants to make sure that they're represented in the right way with the athletes. Um, and they're not going to get caught up in anything that could be a scandal. But on the other side, you know, obviously the athlete themselves want to protect themselves and, and their values around the organization. So even when we work with companies like minor league baseball that we do now, um, you know, they stand for such amazing values. You know, it's really sports for all and, and everyone's it's very inclusive. And so we definitely want to make sure the brands that we're approaching have that same mentality because those shared values. Um, are so important all the way down from the activation ideas to the actual relationship with the brand. Um, so aligning on values and making sure it's a fit from the beginning is is definitely something that needs to be happen- to happen first. And then we, we talked about a bunch of different things that you always have to remember coming into partnership renewals, but I guess what would be the biggest piece of advice? Like if you were to take away one thing from listening to you in this podcast, what would be the one thing that someone in partnerships or in activation needs to know when it comes to doing partnership renewals? Yeah, I mean, it sounds easy, but you need to know from the beginning when you sign a contract what those objectives are. What are you going to be measured at at the end of the year, two years, three years, however long the contract is? Um, you think that a lot of brands going in spending the type of money they did in NASCAR, they would have that laid out. And in my experience, that's actually not the case. You know, Ally Bank. Absolutely. Ally Financial knew exactly what they needed. Um, but we've worked with other partners who didn't. And it's really hard when you get into it to measure against a KPI that wasn't set from the beginning. Um, so I'd say aligning on that at the beginning of the relationship. And then the other one is tracking it. You know, you can't leave it up to the brand to track how the sponsorship is delivering. Um, they've got a lot on their plate. Um, it really is in charge of the property and, and the team itself has to track that with case studies, with sales data, um, you know, tracking the, the brand awareness, um, you know, the digital uh, reach. All of that is, is absolutely critical to do throughout the partnership. You can't wait till the end when you have maybe three months before, uh, you know, the, the contract is up. Um, and the other one, which is, a, is something that you don't think about, you have to get deep relationships within that brand. Um, CMOs and, and director levels, there's a lot of changeover. So if the relationship lives with one person um, and that person leaves and we've had that happen, it's very difficult to talk through a renewal with somebody else who has not been involved from the beginning. So, you know, especially from a Hendrick Motorsports standpoint, we would make sure the relationship from the CEO level with Rick Hendrick was there all the way down to the account manager who was working on it day to day. We knew them all. We kept them engaged. They were true partners you have to give them that peek behind the curtain and make them part of the team and have that constant communication with them um, throughout the entire relationship. Um, And then again, that's from the top all the way down so that everyone is aware, you know, of the partnership of the activations that are happening um, and the impact of them. As with anything, communication is key to a good relationship. So I guess that's one of the biggest things to take away. And then of course, diving in, making sure everyone is on the same page, 
you're doing your job and the objectives are set straight makes complete sense to someone who's actually never been in that industry doing it. And I'm sure people listening that are in that industry probably just learned a little something from you, Shannon. Thank you. But we actually want to get a little more personable because, of course, we are Forefront. So why not do four questions with Forefront that have nothing to do with sports or sports business? So here we go. Um, you worked at Hendrick for, you said, almost 14 years. So whether it be in your time there, currently, or previous, who is your favorite Hendrick Motorsports driver of all time? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, it could be from, from record or like the interactions you had. Doesn't matter. Who's your favorite one and why? I would probably say there's really two because um, I was there such a long time and work with the first driver I had uh, was Terry Labonte. So I got to start with an ultimate veteran who was an amazing person, great personality, taught me a lot more of, you know, the sport of NASCAR and not get, not being taken advantage of. It's a uh, very male dominated sport. And I was actually the third female ever to work at Hendrick Motorsports. So starting with a veteran who is an absolute professional, Terry Labonte, um, who had the best nickname in NASCAR, the Iceman, was my, uh, was the perfect person for me to start with. Um, my other favorite driver is definitely Dale Earnhardt Jr. I worked with him probably the longest. Um, just great personality, um, very funny, uh, very smart. Um, so I, a lot of a lot of personal and, and good stories there, good and bad. <laughs> but um, seeing him and being there for his retirement was really important to me. And um, seeing him now as his career as he's a dad now and on TV. And um, so yeah, I would say those those would be the two. I two. I'm not a NASCAR fan, but two powerhouse drivers, and I, I know them just from everything that they've done in that sport. Being someone who follows sports, I, two fantastic guys to choose from. And then question two: what Was the last song you have listened to? Ooh, that's a tough one, right? You can't remember. It is. I'm trying to think. Um, unfortunately, my daughter's really descendants three right now uh -huh. and so she's been playing the new album and the new uh over and over again throughout the weekend so i'd like to tell you what songs they are i have no idea um and don't really want to know but i know she enjoys them so uh a lot of descendants three's been played in my house the descendants three album when is that that yep. comes that comes out soon is it out now when I... yeah it's out it's out i don't know if uh i'd recommend it for most but if you have a young daughter then definitely all right, fair enough. And then the power of Disney. Number three. This is a hot topic of debate. Maybe not as of late, but a few weeks ago. Chick-fil-A or Popeyes? Oh, Chick-fil-A. That's easy. All right. I, I agree. I, I agree. I don't, I don't think there's a competition there, but I agree. And then the last one, as I'm pretty sure I saw this somewhere uh, about you. You like hole-in-the-wall bars and restaurants, if I'm not mistaken. So... What would be anywhere in the world, doesn't have to be in Charlotte, Dallas, Chicago, Denver, what's your favorite hole-in-the-wall bar or restaurant that you've ever been to? Uh, that one's pretty easy. It's Chicago, um, and it's called A Live One. Um, best jukebox in Chicago by, by far, um, and pool table. Um, but, yeah, after being uh, with the NASCAR and on the road for as many races as I did in my career, you have to get pretty creative with finding uh, – the most local, both restaurants and watering holes. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is become a hidden talent. Um, so, but I will say a live one in Chicago is definitely my favorite. 
That was a quick answer. You didn't even have to think about that one. No, no, that one. That was that was easier than the music, which for me is typically not the case. Well, the last song you listened, it's always hard to think of. I can't remember the last song I listened to, and it was probably just yesterday. But when you have a young daughter, such like you do, I'm pretty sure it's filled with a lot of Disney. And I, I mean, again, I'm I'm not I'm not too well versed here, but it's a lot of Disney, I imagine. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't get to control the uh, music in the house anymore or my car. So uh, Kids Bop has played a lot and, uh, yeah, a, a lot of Disney. Kids Bop, is st- Kids Bop does a world tour now. Did anyone, did you know that? I have been to a concert. Wow, how was it? It was it was fantastic. Interesting. Um, just to watch it through her, her eyes. And again, with music, you, you don't have to worry about the language because I don't know pop culture music very well. I'm a 90s grunge girl. So at least I know what she's listening to is uh, I'd be okay with, but the concerts are really cute. Nice and clean. That's good. That's good. Shannon, we thank you for joining us here today on Front and Center. Uh, unbelievably insightful, of course. Uh, you being here with Forefront now in all of your past history, like you said, with Kellogg and spent a long, long time at Hendrick Motorsports. We thank you for joining us. Is there anything else before we sign off here that you would like to add or want to say? No, I'm very happy to be part of the Forefront team. Uh, again, I've known the organization for a long time, but um, it's an amazing place with amazing people. Shannon, we thank you once again. This has been Front and Center, the podcast created by Forefront, a sports and entertainment marketing agency specializing in analytics, digital innovation, and, of course, partnerships. <laughs>